Well, I read about a, a story of a woman in church who was really struggling with a specific sin. And she went to her pastor and she said, Pastor, I can't seem to shake off this sin. I, I don't know what to do. And, and he just said, well, well, why don't you tell me what you're struggling with? And the woman said, well, Pastor, I go to church every Sunday and I, I look around the, uh, the worship center and I see all these other women and I just, I know I'm prettier than all of them. And, and she said, no woman that I look at could hold a candle to me. I, I just, I can't seem to shake this. He looked over at her and he said, ma'am, that's not a sin, that's a mistake. <laughs> the pastor humbled that arrogant woman that day. In the same way, God can humble us and he humbles us as we can be proud and arrogant. And today we're going to look at how God humbled an arrogant king, King Nebuchadnezzar. If you're journeying with us for the first time, we welcome you again to Christ's covenant. And we have been going through the book of Daniel. As we've been going through the book of Daniel, we've learned that King Nebuchadnezzar was a proud, arrogant king. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And there was a time in history when Babylon came and they defeated God's people, southern Judah. It was around 586 BC, we know. And when Nebuchadnezzar did that and he defeated God's people, he also brought a lot of these young men from Judah and he held them into captivity and brought them back to Babylon so he can indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylon. He wanted them to, uh, to completely eliminate their thinking of who God is and he wanted them to begin to learn about Babylonian gods. And so these young men, Daniel was included amongst some of these young men, these young men went to Babylon University. They were taught the Babylonian ways. They were taught Babylonian literature. They were taught Babylonian myths. They were even taught about how to interpret dreams. And in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream, and after having the dream, he went to his sorcerers. He went to his magicians, who were Babylon, Babylonians, and he asked them to do the impossible. He asked them to tell him what he dreamed, and then to interpret that dream. It was impossible. So these, uh, these uh, sorcerers, they, they talked amongst themselves, and they said, we can't tell the king what he dreamed. He has to tell us first what he dreamed, and then we'll interpret it for him. But the king said, no, I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and then interpret it. Well, because none of them were able to do that, he then went or Daniel heard about it because he was going to have all of them killed as well as Daniel and Daniel's friends. But Daniel spoke up and Daniel said, I want to have a hearing with the king and I'm going to consult the Lord and the Lord's going to provide for me and, and I'll be able to tell the king what he dreamed and interpret it. Well, Daniel ended up getting a hearing with the king and he told the king what he dreamed about and he was able to interpret that dream. Well, after that took place in Daniel 2, the king was blown away and he said, wow, not only were you able to tell me what I dreamed, but you told me the, its interpretation. And he gave credit to God Almighty and gave credit to Daniel. Well, scholars seem to think that 32 years had passed since Daniel 2 as we're now in Daniel 4. 
If you think about 32 years in life, it's easy to forget what happened 32 years before. So Nebuchadnezzar obviously probably either forgot or he just did not remember about the God Almighty who revealed this dream to him through Daniel. And so now we get to yet another dream 32 years later when King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this dream was about a tree. And this tree grew in a magnificent size where the whole world could see the tree. The tree would reach all the way up to the top of the skies into the heavens where the world could see this magnificent tree. The tree had leaves that would, that would shade over all the people of the world. And the tree also had abundant fruit to feed the people and meet all the people's needs. But out of nowhere, a voice from heaven cried out to chop down the tree. And the tree was chopped down to pieces. And it was down to a stump. And the stump had an iron ring around it to disable the tree from growing back. And Nebuchadnezzar, the man who had the dream, he dreamed about a man in the dream, essentially, that turned into a beast. And this man was thinking like a beast and acting like a beast. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Pretty bizarre. Well, after Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, he then went back to his Babylonian sorcerers and magicians, the Chaldeans, and he asked them, can you interpret this dream? I'll tell you this dream this time. You don't have to tell me what I dreamed. I'll tell you the dream, but now I want you to interpret it for me. They could not interpret it. But this is when he remembered Daniel 32 years before, who had been promoted to a position of authority. He brings Daniel in, and Daniel interprets the dream for the king. And Daniel's interpretation of the dream was that the king Nebuchadnezzar represented the tree, or the tree represented Nebuchadnezzar. And as Nebuchadnezzar grew his empire in magnificence, he took care of all the people in his kingdom. And the world would know that he was the ruler of Babylon and of the, the kingdom. Well, Daniel, with great humility and timidity, he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, are you sure you want to know about this? And Nebuchadnezzar said, yes, I want to know what else I dreamed about. And so Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will be chopped down. And it will reduce you to nothing. And one day, sir, king... You'll be turned into a beast. Literally, you'll be thinking like a beast and you'll be eating like a beast and you'll be acting like an animal. That's what will happen to you. And notice in verse 27, you heard this last Sunday by Joel. He did a great job. Verse 27, Daniel gave King Nebuchadnezzar this challenge after interpreting the dream. He said, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You know what God was saying through Daniel to the king? He was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we can either do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. If you're like me and you grew up in a home where your parents disciplined you really well and even spanked you at times, I grew up with that. I remember my dad saying, all right, Seth, we can either do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. And he'd say, if you want to do this the easy way, then all you need to do is come clean and and, and, and tell me where where you were wrong and ask for forgiveness and say you're sorry and tell your sisters and brother you were sorry. 
and I'll let you go. I'll let you off. Or if you don't come clean, then you're going to have my hand on your bottom. We're going to go the hard way if you want to do that. Well, let's see as we continue on Daniel 4 whether Nebuchadnezzar took the easy way or if he took the hard way. Daniel 4, beginning with verse 28. This is God's word. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in this text, we'll see two ways in which we can live. First, we can look down on others with arrogance, or we can look up to God With reverence. We can first look down on others with arrogance. What we see here about Nebuchadnezzar is Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar this dream. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree that's going to get chopped down and you're going to turn into a beast. Are you going to take this the easy way or the hard way? Well, a year had passed since this conversation took place. A year. Nebuchadnezzar obviously was taking the hard way. And he was taking the hard way because he remained arrogant. He remained prideful. And if you look at, again at verses 29 and 30, you can see that Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the rooftop of his palace. And I imagine as he was looking out at Babylon, he was thinking to himself, look what I've done. Look at all the achievements and accomplishments that I've been able to do for this, for this kingdom and these people. Look at what he says in verse 30. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Look at what he's saying. He's saying, look at Babylon. Look what I've done. I'm a big deal. Everybody knows who I am. 
Look at all the things that I've been able to accomplish. He was reflecting on all that he had done in the 32 years that he had reigned, or 33 now. You know, as I did some research on Babylon in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't build Babylon. He actually rebuilt Babylon, and he restored, and he enlarged, and he magnified the city so it became a a great symbol of power and wealth. Babylon was extended to 2,000 acres, which was enormous by ancient standards. It's not enormous in our day, but it was enormous in their day. He had renovated and he had restored a dozen temples. He completed the great wall of Babylon, and he built this palace that he was living in. And next to this palace or connected to the palace were the famous gardens, the hanging gardens. These hanging gardens were considered one of the ancient seven or the seven wonders of the world, the ancient world. And these gardens were built to look like a mountain because his wife that he married was a foreigner and she came from a mountainous region. So he wanted to honor her by building these beautiful, illustrious gardens in her behalf. So as he's looking all across this beautiful city, all at his palace and these beautiful gardens, he's saying, look what I've done. I've arrived. It's all because of me. He was looking down at his city with arrogance. Author William Temple, he said that the essence of sin is that I make myself into a host of ways the center of the universe. The essence of sin is that I make myself the center of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar, he made himself the center of the universe. It was all about Neb. He said, look at me. I am God's greatest gift to this earth. And everybody knows who I am and look at all that I've accomplished. Before we look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, I want to just stop and apply this to you and me today. Are you the center of your own universe? Think about that. Are you? Now, you might immediately think, well, no, I'm not, Seth. I mean, Jesus is, and I love others. But let me, let me kind of get to your heart a little bit, because this really got to me this week. Do you spend most of your day thinking about yourself and your schedule? Or do you think about how others are doing? Do you think about your spouse do you think about how your kids are doing? Do you think about how your coworkers are doing? Do you find yourself thinking about what you're going to say next in a conversation while the other person's talking? Or are you really listening to what they have to say? Or better yet, are you distracted while the person's talking because you're thinking about what's next on your schedule? Do you know a lot about what your kids enjoy doing? Do you know their hobbies, their interests, what TV shows are watching? Do you know about what your wife likes to do and what she's reading right now and what shows she likes to watch? Do you know that about your husband? What about your friends? Do you know what they're up to right now? Do you know how you can pray for them or praise the Lord for them? You know what happened to me last night? I kid you not, I've got four of my groomsmen that live in this city. I grew up here. They're the best of friends. And, you know, we, we, we used to get together often, but the last few years, we've all had kids. We're going to different churches, and, you know, it is what it is. But I've got friends that live 10 minutes from me that I haven't seen in four months. And one of my buddies, he wrote us last night in a group text, and he said, guys, we're best friends. We haven't talked in months. 
I don't know how you're doing. I don't know how I can pray for you. I don't know how I can praise the Lord for what's going on. Can you just share that with me? I thought, thank you, friend, for doing that. But I'm glad he took the initiative because I didn't, right? But again, I'm kind of locked in my own world at times, even with my own friends. Let me ask you this. When you pray, this is convicting. When you pray, do you normally pray about your needs? Or do you pray for others? Better yet, do you praise the Lord for who he is? It's okay to pray for our needs. I'm not saying that. But do you spend most of your prayer life praying for you? If you answer any of those questions, and believe me, I did. If you answer those questions, then you may be the center of your own universe. What happens when you are the center of your universe? God will humble you. I like what C.S. Lewis, he said, a proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. King Nebuchadnezzar was looking down at others. He was looking down on others. He was so busy looking down with arrogance that he didn't take the time to look up with reverence to God. And when we're so busy looking down and looking at our own individual lives and not looking around us or looking up, it will bite us. It will get us eventually. And God will humble us. You know, there was a, a, a man who was promoted to army general. And this army general, he had moved into his office. It was, you know, I think his second or third day as he, well, it was actually his first day. His first day as he moved into the office. And he had all of his desks set up and everything. And, and the door was closed and this young private knocked on the door. And the general quickly gets on his office phone. And he says, yes, Mr. President. I understand, Mr. President. I, we'll, we'll see about that, Mr. President. Yeah, let me, let me, let me keep, keep talking to Mr. President. Let me hear what you're having to say, Mr. President. And he said, hold on just a second, Mr. President. He said it really loud so that the private at the door could hear that he was talking to the president, but the man wasn't even talking to the president. He just wanted to look important because he's a newly promoted general, right? So he said, hold on just one second, Mr. President. So in walks the private. He says, private, come on in. And he says, private, what do you need? <laughs> and the private said, uh, sir, I'm just here to connect your office telephone. <laughs> God has a way of hum- humbling us, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Well, he has a way of making us look like a fool because pride comes before the fall. And in a similar way, God made Nebuchadnezzar look like a fool and act like a fool. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, as he's saying, look what I've done, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Look at this, immediately, The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. You know what happened here? Immediately, Nebuchadnezzar went beast mode. He began to eat grass 
His body was soaking wet. His hair grew like Rapunzel's. His nails were like bird's claws and Edward Scissorhand. Talk about humility. The man turned beast. How low can you go? Well, actually, there's a condition that Nebuchadnezzar had. And that condition is called boanthropy. Boanthropy is a mental condition in which a person begins to think and act like an ox or a beast. In 1946, there was a man who was living in a British mental institute who spent entire days from dawn to dusk outdoors on the institutional grounds of this mental institute in Britain. He was limited in his ability to care for himself. People would have to shave him. They would have to bathe him. They even had to give him clean water from a clean container because he would drink water from mud puddles. But as he wandered over the ground from dawn to dusk, he would pluck up chunks of grass to eat. And he never was able to eat with others because of his behavior. Boanthropy. Nebuchadnezzar was turned beast mode. Un. Be believable. Seven periods of time, scholars say that's seven years. So here's a man, 32 years reigning, 33 years reigning and ruling, building such a magnificent kingdom, and now all of a sudden he's reduced to animal like behaviors. How in the world did that happen? I'll tell you how. God humbled him. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the center of the universe, and God said, No, you're not, young man. I'm going to humble you, and as Joel said last week, I'm going to take you to the woodshed. And that's exactly what he did. You see, God said to Nebuchadnezzar, I will no longer tolerate your sin, your pride, your arrogance. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Romans chapter 1. The people in Paul's day in and, and Rome, Romans chapter 1 is very clear. God said, I will no longer tolerate wickedness because the people were suppressing the truth. You know what it means to suppress? It means to press down. They said, we want to press down the truth. We want to get it away. We want to get it out of our lives. And we want to live like we want to live and do what we want to do without any regard to God. Because we don't need him. Because we're the center of our universe. We want to eat, drink, and be merry. We want to live it up in this world and do whatever we want to do. And God said, you know what? If that's how you want to live and that's how you want to think, I'll let you think that way. In fact, I'll make it worse for you and I'll turn you over to your sinful desires. Verse 24, he gave them up to uncleanliness, especially sexual uncleanliness. Verse 26, he gave them up to vile affection, sexual perversions. And verse 28 is perhaps the scariest moment of all in Romans 1. He gave them up to a reprobate mind. Romans 1, 28 And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Whoa. He completely changed their mind, changed their affections, changed their lifestyle to beast mode, to beast-like. That's what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. You know, as I'm scratching my head and I watch the news and I see what's being discussed in our culture and our, in our world today. I can't believe some of the conversations we're having today. 20 years ago, I would have never thought we would have the conversations we're having today. How is that happening? 
Why is this happening? It goes back to this. We're a proud people. We're an arrogant people. And as we continue to live in a proud way, an arrogant way, God will humble us. That's what's happening to our nation. And until we make a U-turn and we repent, we'll continue to go down a slippery slope and things will get worse for us just as it did for Nebuchadnezzar. So if that's the case, what are we to do? Well, instead of looking down at others with, evident, with arrogance, we need to start looking up to God with reverence. And honestly, that's what Nebuchadnezzar started to do. After seven years of insanity, God restored Nebuchadnezzar back to his senses. But this time, we see here, finally, Nebuchadnezzar experienced a true heart change. Look at verse 34, what he said. At the end of the days of acting like a beast, an animal, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. What's he saying here? He's saying, I looked up. I no longer was looking down and looking at my life, but I was looking up. I was looking up to God with reverence, and I realized he is the true king. I am not. I've been reduced to an animal. He never would do that because he's the living and true God. He is the mighty one, the most high, and he is the one that deserves all praise and honor because he lives forever. You know, Nebuchadnezzar revealed true humility. Ian Dugid, he said that true humility looks away from myself to heaven. True humility recognizes not only that I am nothing, but also that God is everything. It acknowledges that I cannot stand by myself, but God can make even me stand firm and strong. Humility sees that apart from Christ, I can do nothing, but in Christ, I can accomplish whatever God designs for me. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing, but in Christ, I can accomplish whatever God designs for me. Nebuchadnezzar started understanding that finally. It took him to turn into an animal for him to understand it. But now he gets it. And he's saying, oh, all of these things that have taken place in my life, really it wasn't me and my achievements. God, it was his grace. It was God to be the glory. It was his achievements. That showed true humility. And notice what Nebuchadnezzar prayed He had a prayer of praise. Go back to verse 34. He said, For his dominion, God, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. What is he acknowledging here? He's acknowledging the sovereignty of God. He's acknowledging that God is in control of everything, even his own life. He acknowledges here that, Oh, (laughs) I'm not in charge. God is in charge. But notice how he went on in verse 35. He realized he was nothing compared to an almighty God. This shows, again, true humility. It shows repentance. It shows confession. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
Notice that? He's saying, I am nothing compared to this almighty God who is everything. You know, if you've ever been to the Empire State Building or a tall building in a tourist attraction area or or a big city, have you ever gone to the, let's say, the, the top of the Empire State Building and you look down, what do you see? I mean, not only do you see buildings everywhere, but you see people everywhere. Hundreds of people. And, and they look like the size of ants from where you are way up there. You know, I've been there, I think, twice now in my life. And every time I'm up there, I think about, okay, this is kind of how God is with us. Like, he's looking on us like ants, you know. We're just walking around from place to place. But the other thing I think about is, you know, these hundreds of people down here that I'm looking at, they don't have a clue who I am. And they don't care who I am. And I don't have a clue who they are, and I frankly don't care. It's humbling. You could go to another city. You could go to another state. You might even be able to go to the grocery store without knowing anybody. Yeah. You're not the center of the universe. Neither am I. God is. God is the center of the universe because he created it. He's it. You know, Walter Kaiser he told about a story of the funeral of Louis the Fourteenth. Louis the Fourteenth, he wanted to be buried, or his he wanted his funeral at Notre Dame Cathedral. And as he was planning his funeral, he said, "I want whenever my funeral takes place in the, the Notre Dame Cathedral, I want on top of my casket to have a candle that continues to burn. But as the processional happens and I come in and." And, 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 and the casket's there in the center of, of, of the, the, the stage. I, I want all the lights out, and I want my candle to keep burning. You know what happened at that funeral ceremony? The pastor got up. His name was Massillon. The pastor Massillon, he walked up, and he stood over the casket. You know what he did? He blew out the candle, and he said, only God is great. Only God is great. Louis XIV wasn't great. Only God is great. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't great. Only God is great. And when you realize only God is great, then you'll begin to live with a greater purpose for your life. You'll begin to serve others wholeheartedly. You'll begin to live for others instead of for yourself. And that's what we see Nebuchadnezzar do. Look at the end of the chapter. And this is the last words that we read about from Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. 180. Complete change from a man who is completely arrogant. And all about himself. And now he's saying, now I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Because his works are right. Not my works. It's his works. His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Case in point, he turned me into an animal. <laughs> he could turn you into an animal too. You could have the mental condition of boanthropy if you're not careful. So watch out. So what do we do with this incredible Incredible, true story and lesson. Well, there is a verse that I was told many, many years ago, and I'll never forget it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. It just takes one, one mistake and it ruins everything, right? 
If you think you have it all together, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And all of us can fall. And all of us do fall. That's why we've spent several minutes confessing our sins today. But know that our lives are not about pride and arrogance and building ourselves up. And instead, our lives are about building the kingdom and glorifying the Lord and honoring him. So here's some takeaways I want you to think about. This week, I want you to think about looking up to God with reverence. And how can you do that? Well, first, when you pray to him this week, I encourage you, don't spend so much time praying about your needs. Now, you need to do that. It's important. But instead, spend more of your time praising the Lord for who he is. And pray for others. Ask your spouse, your children, your friends, your family, your coworkers, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And spend time praying for them. Also, look beyond yourself and encourage people who look down. You know, the other day I was at Starbucks at Ingalls. And it was early in the morning. I think they just opened. And this guy, he's, you know, long hair teenager, great guy. But he just looked down. He just looked like he didn't want to be there. And he was just, he just looked angry. And I was standing there kind of looking at my phone like a lot of us do and thinking, okay, this guy's going to make me my latte or I, I do macchiato. And I'm, he's making that. And, and then I was thinking, you know what? This guy does not want to be here. And I just looked at him and I smiled. I said, hey, man, how, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, are you, you, you doing okay? And he said, and he kind of looked up and shocked. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I said, I appreciate what you do, and just hang in there, man, hang in there. He's like, thanks, thanks. And I just walked on. I saw him again a few days ago and struck up a conversation. I'm hoping to continue to meet him and talk to him. I don't get Starbucks every day, but when I do go in, that's just an example. But I bring that up because the guy, he just looked discouraged. And most of the time, I don't think about, I need to ask that guy how he's doing, or at least say a word of encouragement to him. Most of the time I'm looking at my phone or kind of looking around. I would encourage you to think about that when you're going to restaurants, when you're going to Ingalls, grocery stores, you name it. Look beyond, you know, your own world and look out and see, okay, people are hurting. And it might just be a simple act of kindness that can really impact them. And then as you build a relationship, you tell them about Jesus because he's the one who ultimately is kind. So again, these are just examples of things you can do this week. But I encourage you, to think about the way of the lowly instead of the way of the arrogant. Because God will bring down the proud and the arrogant. And he will lift up the lowly and the humble.